1: Second Empire with me and Arnon.
0: And me. William Dremple, and we are now on the big finale for our slavery series. And we, I've got the wonderful Alex Renton with us, but we should fess up. This was actually recorded at the Literature Festival last January, and we have an update, which we're going to go straight into before we go to the recording we made, because Alex and a few others have gone on to found something called the Heirs of Slavery. Anita, tell us about it.
1: Well, so the, so the heirs of slavery, including people like Laura Trevelyan, who used to be a colleague of mine at the BBC. There is a Gladstone involved. There is, I mean, there, there are sort of prominent names from British society whose families benefited from slavery. So the heirs of, of, of slavery are looking into the development of programs for reparations and apology. For what happened. Uh, and you know, Alex Renton's very much in the in the heart of this. There's also an organization which you should know about it, which is CARICOM. It's a Caribbean group of nations. Uh, and this has been like a huge topic of conversation in the Commonwealth as well. That they want acknowledgement, repair and reconciliation when it comes to slavery. But but Alex and, and the heirs of slavery, you know, this is this is a new thing where they are actually going through line by line what their families did and what their families had and what their families may owe.
0: So the heirs of slavery want the European nations that were involved in slavery, particularly Portugal, Britain, France and Spain and Holland, to acknowledge the CARICOM, Caribbean Nation Plan for Reparative Justice, which means a full apology, development programs for indigenous people, funding for repatriation programs, building cultural institutions, help tackling public health crises, developing education programs, enhancing historical and cultural exchange, dealing with psychological trauma, the right to develop through technology and debt cancellation. So it's a very ambitious and comprehensive plan. I hadn't realised it was quite so thorough. It's an extraordinary programme.
1: I mean, it is a, it is a comprehensive programme, but some may say uh, from those countries, particularly the Caricom countries, that it is, it is about time. And that is what they are saying, particularly Commonwealth countries. who say, you know what? If you don't want to address this, what's the point of being in the Commonwealth?
0: So now back to the recording. This is Alex Renton recorded in January at the Jaipur Literature Festival in India on his extraordinary book, Blood Legacy.
1: We want to sort of zoom in on a personal story which actually sheds a lot of light on some very much... Well, some much bigger issues. So what if you are, I mean, this is why I think this is also why, you know, when we come to this, this notion of why is it so hard to discuss empire? Why has it become such a battlefield? It's because some of this stuff is really hard to swallow. Like the partition stuff we talked about, do you remember that it is hard mm. for Indians or Pakistanis to acknowledge that sometimes their forebears may have been part of that bloodlust. When,
0: when I, my book, The Anarchy, Came out in India. The you fact wrote a book called *The, the Anarchy*.
1: Ju- you don't mention it very often. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, uh-huh. uh
0: huh. The fact that the Indian bankers, the Jughead sets, and many yes. others had actually basically funded these Tinder company and had bribed Clive to fight Sirajuddaula.
1: Indeed, and so so there are some things which are tricky to have uh, in your history, and one such thing is slavery. So there are people who have old money. Old money that is built in slavery. There are cities that are built on old money. From slavery. So how do you have that reckoning? Well, all of this comes together in a rather marvellous book by a man called Alex Renton. It's called Blood Legacy. Alex is with us now. And um, can we start with the very personal? Why did you start even working on this book? What, what is it in your family, the sort of the shadows in the family that made you
2: do it? So my grand Scottish family, who some of whom still inhabit an old house in Ayrshire, inhabit part of it, some of it's derelict. Is um, it a castle or more? A castle than a house. No, it's a it's a 18th century house, but the the, the castle is down the road. They moved okay. out of that <laughs> in the 15th century, but um, for good reasons. But I was there a lot as a child and and, and as an adult. And and there's, there are wonderful family archives down below in, in the old servants' dining hall. And I was. Uh, all catalogued by my historian grandfather, Sir James Ferguson, who died in in, uh, 1971. And I was just going through his notes, his handwritten catalog, and kept seeing references to Jamaica and Tobago in it. And asked my mother, who said, ah, yes, well, Dad told us not to worry too much about that, because everyone was doing it, everyone like them, and we didn't make very much money, and we weren't in it very long
1: did you know the it was actually sort of slavery implanted? did you immediately yes, put it together clearly Eight, yeah, okay.
2: 18th century notes about investments in yes. Jamaica and Tobago and, and of course you know as, as a journalist an investigative journalist that was a red rag and, and to my family's slight consternation I'd started digging into these, this this huge archive, which really hadn't been looked at since my grandfather did 60 years ago, and tells a quite ordinary story of gentlemanly or landed gentlemanly slave ownership, slave trading over, in the end, uh, an ownership in Jamaica right through to 1875 when the plantation was finally disposed of.
1: I feel like I've done you an enormous um, disservice because, of course, people who do read newspapers <laughs> will know the bylines. They're just in a potted history. And why it should be no surprise to anybody that you're a man who just wouldn't take face value at face value. So what is it about you that made you keep digging?
2: Well, I, I like to dig I mean, I, I, I mean, you're an investigative Jen, It's a great <laughs> repute I mean, yeah. I think, you know, a bit like Willie. I, I had one of those bizarre educations that left me feeling quite rebellious and angry. But, you know, a, a posh education. I went to Eton and so on, and and I and I think you know it happened to Famously a lot of people. You us. went to prep school with Boris Johnson. I went to prep school with oh, dear yeah. Boris, absolutely. But uh, um, and a lot of the teachers from our time there are now are now slowly being brought to justice, partly through your intervention in the law court. It, it was one of, pedo hunting is one of my one obvious, of your but, things, um, but mm. um, the and you know and productive and yeah, I mean a, a sort of scepticism about about the, about the establishment, about the class of which you know to which I clearly belong. I, I mean my you know my my family post slave ownership have been governor generals in India and elsewhere, politicians, you know, leaders in the British Army, and so on. And, and I, but I think were it, distinguished you know, lawyers and historians in the in the Scottish Enlightenment. Yeah. Yes, I mean the, the central figure, Sir Adam Ferguson, it, to the... The book, who is my seven six times great uncle, was an MP for Edinburgh and for Ayrshire. He was a friend of Henry Dundas, he very close to Pitt. He was offered the Governor-Generalship of Bombay at one point and turned it down because <laughs> this is in the 1790s. Dundas being the, the Foreign Secretary who um, we've met before in this uh, podcast
0: because he was the guy that sent Lord Wellesley out to india to fight the french mm. and was very much the most powerful not just scott but the most powerful man in the empire in the early days fighting napoleon and, and so
1: also on. a man yeah. that finds himself in the eye of a particular a storm at the moment about reputation which we'll come to in a moment let's park that but let's stick with the fergusons for a little while longer so so right at the beginning they are a, they are all, almost immediately on the scene as a big important family
2: yeah i mean really from the 17th century onwards advocates. They were on, on, the, on the English side or the southern side during, during the rebellion of 1745, so they came very well out of that. And then quite naturally progressed into being peripheral figures in the Edinburgh Enlightenment. Close friends with Adam Smith. Yeah. He was rector of Glasgow University immediately after Adam Smith. And also, you know this is where it got interesting for me. I, I mean, clearly for his time, a liberal, a wig, a highly read man, you know, did the tour of Europe and so on. But, but he has a, a copy of, of every liberal text of the 18th century in yeah. his library, which still exists. This is the crucial thing. That, the, that he was not, uh, by the standards of
0: 18th-century Scotland, he was not a monster. He was a, he was a uh, an educated. Um, well, I well, imagine use the word civilised but of course or yes. well, well, decent yeah, let's yeah. say
1: decent by the you he, yeah. know, by their levels of and of you, this is today, something you wrestle Marshall. with in your book very yeah. beautifully yeah. about yeah.
0: these are people which yeah. if you were to take this chapter of their life out of it are would people lovely. That, that you would not mm. necessarily be uh, would be unpleasant to have dinner with they, they are intelligent
2: educated people
0: but they had Slave plantations.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and when I first started reading the letters stored down in that basement, I realised very quickly that these were men of my time. When I mean, when you read Sir Adam's younger brother who writes back from Tobago, his jokes. I mean, you could sit and our minds, our minds w- would merge.
1: I need to understand what that is. So so when you say that our minds would merge, what, what do you mean? What was in the letters?
2: The letters are, he, he, he arrives in Grenada, which is a sort of great area, area where all the new arrivals to the West Indies are in the great gold rush of the 1770s, trying to get the, the new land from, that's come out of the truce made with the French. Um, lots of Scots, Scots friends, and he tells funny, gossipy stories about them and how rapacious they are and mm. how the lawyers are so naughty. And he starts judging his fellow slavers by saying, I think they're so wrong to treat the Africans so badly. Right. Africans isn't the word he uses. Um, I think clearly you should show humanity to them. That makes economic sense and moral sense. <laughs> so I immediately saw, uh, yeah. and I, started, I had to start because I'm you know, a, a chain of these people who have had this privilege ever since to wonder if I had been me at the same time would I too have gone out right. to manage to invest the family money in Africans and I, that kind of begins to drive my thoughts in the book really. yeah a bit of background here so Scotland prior
0: to the 18th century is one of the poorest countries in Europe it's way behind France Portugal Spain Italy and England and the reason that Scotland joins the Union is specifically to become part of the world of empire, which means on the east coast of Scotland, India, which is where my forebears went generation after generation, and made money through both administration and loot. And on the west coast, it meant the, the Caribbean slave plantations. And you get huge numbers of Scots enriching themselves. And. Mm. We Scots love to think of ourselves as the victims, as as you know, we're the uh, freedom and we're all this braveheart, stuff. braveheart, braveheart you know, the land of colonised. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We got onto the bus of empire uh, and we piled in. Well, and, okay, and, so and by the mid eighteenth century, per capita, there are far more Scots than English, both in India and in the Caribbean.
1: Okay, well, I I, 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 I wanted to do the but personal, but first, but let, let's talk about what you've just brought up. Because also, actually, I've had this conversation from Irish people as well, saying, you know what, it is very hard for us to come to terms with the fact that so many Irish went out to fight uh, for the colonies. And, and, you know, we've talked about the Bagh. massacre where it was an irishman from tipperary who was in charge and it was another man who went to middleton college in dublin who ordered fire and there were lots of irish doing some pretty unspeakable things but is it not true and we can go back and we can talk about this and we will with your story but is it also not true that there is an interesting introspection dare i say that's going on in scotland and ireland that may not be going on elsewhere is that fair or not
0: fair
2: it's more I, complex than that, isn't it? it? It's yeah. more. Co- it may be more. Co- I mean, we Scots. I live in Edinburgh. I'm a Scot. We'd like to flatter ourselves that we, we had the the British Enlightenment. We we and we've remained liberal and better educated is one of the things we tell ourselves a lot in all classes in the 20th century, and we're more open minded to this day. Is it true? I, I mean, I, I it, we've had you know, the culture war. In Scotland, has been as gruesome over this issue, over, over talking about, about revisiting the history of empire, um, as it has anywhere else. It's taken some peculiarly Scottish angles, but I,
0: I tell you why I think it definitely complicates things and and makes Scots more willing to face this, is that I, I mean I went to school in Scotland uh, certainly to begin with and. You grow up learning about the Wars of Independence and the Wars of Independence for us are Ballotburn. and all the, uh, and and the fighting against, him. and then and then you learn about Body Prince Charlie and the Redcoats are the baddies. The Redcoats, you know, are the are the evil villains of of Scottish history textbooks. Mm-hmm. So every Scots child from the age of eight. Grows up with uh, with the English and and the the redcoats as the enemy. So therefore, when you're reading imperial history or or, uh, or talking about the the redcoats in India or the or, or even in Quebec or something like that, you're well aware that you know these guys are morally ambiguous, and and I think that's crucially important. Certainly, I find it makes it you know it made me much more willing to accept than many of my English contemporaries the fact that the whole imperial story Mm. is deeply morally ambiguous from the beginning because lots of english people just grow up completely ignorant of any complicity in any well they
1: have the toy soldiers and the goodies are in the red i mean it's like simple like there's no question in my mind at all it's a huge
0: difference if if, if you've grown up to valorize william wallace and uh, robert the bruce uh, robert the bruce and body prince charlie it's Uh, very very easy to understand how how the English army, the British army, can be a force, a, a morally
2: bad force that it commits atrocities. But I mean, your and my Scots background is quite similar. In fact, like, we're, we're cousins in some way. Like everyone in London oh Scotland. Oh my God! I'm not another relative <laughs> but, but,
1: of Dalrymple This is unbearable.
2: There were the, there has to be say that the
0: when I went to Tobago, uh, there are uh, well in the London phone book there are two pages of Drumples in the Tobago oh. phone book. Uh, uh, Alex, <laughs> you may not know it's this. Not it's not my a, branch it's, of the it's family. A lo- it's a
1: Long-running joke. He's related to everybody. Been, he, he does kind end, of go yeah. not
2: my brunch of the family okay, quite often. when <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, right. oh, sorry. We do bad things. Yeah, we do bad things. No, do, yeah. Yeah, and, do bad and, things and my slave ancestors yeah. lived in what was originally a Dalrymple house at New Hales in outside Edinburgh for the last during the last period of slavery. But I mean, but is like I like you was brought up on Nigel Tranter. And when we drove north of the border for holidays, my mother would have us get us get out of the car and kiss the ground at Carlisle because we were back in the land of the free. But your ancestors Emperor. like mine were, were on the side of the redcoats right. in 45 so it, 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 for me it becomes another of these retelling of, of, of this history to have the nicest history for yourself and it's entirely analogous with the retelling of slavery history to say the British were the good guys and Wilberforce was was a saint.
1: Right let's now we went on a digression I don't mind it because it's fascinating and also having two <laughs> sort of Scots who are in this field in, in the room. Two posh, Scots. It was posh <laughs> Scots but alright there you are let's Let's go back to you in the box of letters. So there you are, you're finding this stuff, these letters, which, you know, in one sentence seemed quite decent. And then suddenly, it's because you get a better price for a well treated slave. Did you get a sense of what this family was your family was like? I mean, what what were they like?
2: Yes, because, I, I mean, a, a lot of the letters are family letters and they're letters, you know, as any doting uncle would write to a, a nephew. Not least that Sir James, my four times great grandfather, who was a merchant in Bombay and, and then with the EIC and came back to enjoy his inheritance, which included the, the slavery inheritance as well. So so I got a sense, I think, you know, most of all, that they were not alien beings that though their acts were monstrous, but it would be wrong to picture them as monsters because they felt close to me. And then I found the act of, I got more and more, and their at, portraits were on the wall as I was Growing upstairs, up, as I uh, was reading this. And, yeah. I mean, and they had always been referred to as, you know, it's just that they stepped out of the room, they were still part of the family. But then I started digging deeper and I found myself looking for good things, looking for those little moral right. tokens that they were thinking well. And then came across stuff that was just nauseating. Likewise. Well, I think probably the first, there's a lot, but the first of all was when Jamie, the younger brother, sent out to Tobago to build a plantation and buy Africans from scratch, which is a fascinating account. Um, um, writes to his older brother, Sir Adam, who's bankrolling it, saying, talking about how he's Treating, he's only owns ten Africans at the time, but he's he's working alongside them, cutting down the trees to make the plantation. He, he stripped to the waist, he says, and and he treats their wounds, and and he's painting a picture of brotherly love, and in, in you know or labour together, and in. In the next paragraph, he has a design. He's sort of drawn a picture, a logo, which is entwining the initials James, J, A, and F for Ferguson. And he says, if you approve this design, I'll send to Barbados to have it made in silver before I mark the slaves. Oh,
1: God. Brands. So, Brand. yes, marking the slaves is a, yeah. is a sort of genteel way of putting a red-hot iron in a fire and then... In the centre of their chest, and yeah. it's a complicated
2: yeah. logo. It's going to hurt more because he wants all those letters in. So, and later, of course, was in that, the, the but, you that, that the first thing you saw? It's the first thing I saw that uh, made me actually gulp. I mean, it was mm. made me realise mm-hmm. that these
0: people were not actually of our world. Though they mm-hmm. had your name. That they had your uh, your blood. That they came from the same sort of place that their values were utterly different
2: and the key value of course and that it happens through right I mean much later Sir Adam Ferguson sits in the House of Commons listening to Wilberforce and Pitt debate in in, in 92, 1792 debate the abolition of slavery leaves the Commons and goes to his lodgings in, in St. James's to write a letter to the manager saying get down to Kingston and buy more young women because we're going to have to breed more Oh gosh. So, so what oh, you realise oh, I realised about these men who I was grateful to like yeah. were entirely racist because they were doing to they, they could they were treating the Africans like animals and branding them, breeding from them, and they would not do that to their white employees. And they had many white employees in Jamaica. So the whole enterprise is totally racist. There's no revelation, but no one taught me that at school.
1: You, I mean, what did your family think? You know, I, I'm just sort of trying to picture what this is like. So you're doing no, I'm, this I'm intrigued by, by what day. Did, what were family how they react dinners to like? You, oh. know, when you, you must have come running down going, oh, my well, goodness, I've just read this thing. What, what did they say?
2: I mean, it's caused a rift. I mean, I mean, I I, mean, I think well, no one knew what was in those papers because because they all any anyone had seen was my grandfather's notes, and and my grandfather had kind of covered it up to to his children. Think, you know, even in 1970, it was pretty embarrassing, and I think everyone thought I was going to write a sort of scholarly essay, a, and when the book finally appeared. They were angry that it was sensationalist, and, and also because it. This all started before June twenty twenty in Black Lives Matter. But mm. by the time it appeared, I, I, you know, people were wondering about whether windows would stop being smashed. I mean, we've seen the Draxes recently in in uh, Barbados, yeah. be
0: summoned to who still have. But, but, I, yes, mean, I mean, yeah. uh, we,
1: I mean we. we should explain that. So there is a there is a, a, a British parliamentarian called Richard Drax whose family Sorry. had plantations, and now there is a you know serious challenge to say right, you you owe money.
2: Yes, I, I mean, and one of the, the the nice effects of this book is, is that I have been contacted with. With quite a few people in the same position as us, mm. in, in the, they may not still be that wealthy, but they they have the privilege of slavery, and 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 they know the history because if they're posh enough, you, you, posh people keep their papers, so there's no avoiding it. So so, and that that has led to discussions about personal reparations, and and the book's website has a page on various charities in 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 the Caribbean and and educational things. That, that we are giving money well, to. I
1: mean, there's, there's that, but there's there's also, you know, I find, I, find, I think your book is extraordinary, by the way. Really, I, I think I, it was hard to read. I can't imagine how hard it was to write, but you've got sort of a price list. Can I just go through some of the numbers, which are, I think, deeply, deeply affecting? Peggy the nurse, she was worth £90. Pounds. Rachel was a maid, she was worth £57. Pounds. Colin the child, and this was what did it. You know, William knows me. Colin the child, was worth eight pounds and then we also find out from your book a horse was worth 40 yes.
2: and the horses and cows That's are listed just under the children in that in, in that list uh, the lists are really gripping and and I, I do offer to share my all my transcripts of them to anyone who writes to me because they really shouldn't just be in, in our possession but um I, I mean later in the book i decided i needed to make a list of because because this is all about the Ferguson story the the, the enslaved people's story is not told and hardly no, you known have I their mean voices, there are a couple yeah. of stories that emerge but um so I did a list of they only really recorded deaths if they were violent or from disease because that's to do with the accounting and, and the bonuses for the white managers uh, so I did a list later in the book of every uh Everyone who the three hundred and fifty or so who died falling in the slurry pit, or because of worms, or, or, in, or often in childbirth, and or wasting away because of of hopelessness is one of the descriptions. And those lists are, you know, because this was this was a tyranny that, like the Nazis, lived through its accounting um, and can be read through its accounting. Those lists are deeply disturbing and moving.
1: Since we're talking about money, uh, how much money came? from the Ferguson plantations and, and what was what was happening there and where was it going? And I just want to, uh, people to understand this sort of circle of complicity at the time of who was benefiting, where the wealth was going.
2: Well, it, it, it's hard to disentangle. There's great historians um, like Stephen Mullen in Glasgow, who did very good on the economics of, of the later slavery period. And, and clearly the bankers and the insurers were making most money. And and we co-owned this plantation with the Hunter Blair family, who became very, very wealthy, but through lending money to planters. I think the Ferguson's owned a lot of land in in Scotland. I think at best it was around 20% of income. So it was very significant. Mm. They bought three houses in Edinburgh, Newtown. Town. how
1: many acres in Tobago? Uh,
2: 100, at the top, 200 enslaved people. and I mean, only about 200 acres actually under sugar. But, you get uh, this. And then, of course, they benefit at the end of slavery because we were still slave. Uh, we, I, I say we, I'm not sure mm. about that. Uh, at the end of slavery, we benefited from the compensation scheme to, and to the tune of about three million. By, and and just money. again,
1: and we have talked about this before, but the compensation went to the owners, it didn't go to any of the enslaved people or their families. And Hmm.
2: and my ancestor by now with Sir Charles Ferguson, who's my three times uh, grandfather, was a a, a well-known philanthropist, a builder of churches and schools throughout Ayrshire, and and, and in fact, but not a single church or school Mm. in Jamaica for the enslaved people who were freed in 19, 1838. This is a consistent thing in, in Scotland.
0: And, and there's, a, there's a historian in Glasgow University called Andrew McKillop, who's worked a lot, particularly on India. Uh, and he says, you know, there's barely a town in Scotland that hasn't got either a church hall or a church or a monument or a, a fountain or whatever it is, uh, which comes either from India or, or from the and, and you have this complete transformation of scotland in the 18th century that comes from its participation in empire and it's a very poor country and then suddenly you have all these estate villages you have suddenly yeah. all these big 18th century buildings you mentioned new Hales, but the the, the country is completely transformed well, I, w- in I want you to do years. you know
1: for, because we've got listeners all over the world we're very lucky on this i mean I'm really privileged on this podcast that we have uh, listeners from around the world but if you were to take them on a, on a, a walking tour let's say of edinburgh how much of Edinburgh and which bits of Edinburgh would be...
2: Well, can I just say there is a really good black history walking tour of Edinburgh run by a, a wonderful person called Lisa Williams. Uh, and she, she will tour you um, up and down the new town and house after house, some of them owned by my own ancestors, um, is directly linked to slavery. It, 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 there's a modern history of Ed, Edinburgh by a, an old historian called Michael Fry, who you'll know, which fails to make any reference to slavery whatsoever but Nothing, actually no, at all. Yeah. none at all yeah. it's not in the index but actually Lisa's tour will show you and there are gravestones of enslaved nursemaids who were brought back by planters to Britain uh, to Scotland the, to,
1: uh, the version and,
2: of the Ayers I a lecture with with Andrew McKillop in Glasgow just two
0: months ago and he and and this came up in the question time and, and people were saying, you know, how much of mm. Glasgow? And he said, I can't remember the exact figure, but he said, you know, if you were to go within 20 miles of Glasgow, you'd come across 50 estates. Which were linked to empire in
2: one way or another. The University College London LBS site has a brilliant map of Britain with its estates on it, and and you see the clusters in Scotland, particularly Mid ayrshire and then up on the northeast going up to and I think you get it, you Aberdeen. get a great
0: deal of um, uh, of plantation stuff up in the Highlands too, a uh, little bit later. And again, you know, like any business operation, this was a business operation lots of people go into it with high hopes and a lot of people are disappointed. A lot of these families are writing that, you know, their plantations are not making money mm. uh, and they're late in the game and other families have got in there first. Uh, and so their concerns, you, what you read in so many of the letters are not that, you know, I'm, I'm horrified by uh, the whipping, the slaves, the the early deaths and all this stuff. They're just worried that the, their plantations are not making
2: them the money they thought yeah. were going to bail them because, out. Because they have borrowed deep yeah. in yeah. very dodgy banks in the late 18th century. Yeah.
1: Uh, I, can, can we talk about, again, the, the, the personal personality of these people because you, you also do this very I mean I, I suppose you're trying to look for some salvation somewhere completely human and un- understandable but but some of the the friend circle of Sir Adam Ferguson I think is utterly fascinating so you know we're talking about key figures of the Enlightenment Adam Smith he knew David Hume he knew Robert Burns
0: he knew. Uh, Robbie Burns is a very crucial he, bit of the story. He, is he
1: complicated? So Tell Robin me Burns why. Robbie Burns is you
0: know, in a, the most egalitarian person of the entire 18th century. He's writing about uh, the poor. The, uh, he, he's the author the, of the Slaves Lament. As yes. As a, and yet he comes within
2: a whisker of taking a job in the West Indies. No, no. Talk you know, more yeah. about
1: that. Because I mean, I, yeah. you told me we, this before and I can't the, the, get my the, head the, around the, that.
2: The, I mean, I mean, the, the legend is he was. I mean, he had his passage booked. He had a. An, a he called it being a slave driver, is the word he used. A slave uh, to, on a plantation in Jamaica with, with another Scot. Uh, it was a, a route that many impoverished, educated young men, younger brothers, took because it was a way to either die or make a fortune fast. And the legend is that he was on his way to Leith to get on the ship Roselle uh, when word came from Edinburgh that his first edition of his poems was selling very well, and wow. he turned round. <laughs> so again, you see that. Here's mm. someone that we think of yeah, in lo- entirely
0: fluffy, positive... Fluffy, cuddly, Burns. Yeah, Robbie yeah Burns. and, and, and the, yeah. you And know, the, the attacking the establishment yeah. and standing up for the poor, but with a slightly different twist of fate. He could be remembered as a... As a a British British slave driver. This is, again, an important thing to remember in that... There are many people who, who regard empire as an opportunity and, and, and go willingly and happily to it. But there's also a great class of people who are driven to sign up in the army, which involves a lot of brutality or even worse, sign up in the Navy because they have no money, because times are hard. And, and, they, and they sign up and those people from the bottom of society find themselves committing exactly the same atrocities as the people at the top. They're burning down Sri Ranga They're 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 working in 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 the plantation of slaves. They're watching slaves who escape being being punished in hideous ways and this sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Can I can I talk about the emotional sort of journey as well? Um, I know it's an awful word. I know you winced and I don't blame you. I just wished I But no, journey will be fine because, you know, you're there. You're looking at the letters. I, uh, what washes over you is it? What comes first? What comes second? Anger. I'm thinking anger, um, rage, disgust, shame. I, I, what, tell me what, it, when, it's, what 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 order do it, they come in? It,
2: it, you know, it's interesting because uh, I, I, it's a huge job of transcription. Eighteenth-century letters aren't aren't easy to read, and and I. My father was dying at the time, and my mother was caring for him, so I enlisted my mother. I would email her photographs of the letters, so she would transcribe, and I would transcribe and we got into a routine of going, "Oh Lord, have you seen this?" and she texts me something over so she and it was kind of good because you know she'd been brought up the same way to to see to revere britain's big um, in my class, a big on ancestor worship um, and she saw what it really was, but I think. I think both my mother and I, and she was very supportive of the book, Not unlike some of the family, you know, felt that we needed to take this story out to say, you know, because at this point we were getting to 2020 and things as I was finishing the book and, and those arguments, some of them very stupid, were beginning to happen, uh, And and just say we acknowledge, apologise, there is no excusing this, particularly not on the grounds that Things were different in those days, and so it, it, I think that one's nausea, which is very real. I mean, there's some stuff later where you read a, about how women being women, whose enslaved women whose white lovers return home ab- and abandon them, but free their chi- their mutual children. It, it, that those sort of issues, you continue to be horrified by by it. But but I think as we went going forward. The idea that you need to take this out and that people like me and the hundreds of thousands who are descended from slave owners alive in Britain today need to take part in addressing the wrongs done um, on racial grounds in Britain today.
1: Well, I tell you what, uh, let's take a break here and we'll come back after the break and discuss what that might look like, feel like and sound like. Welcome back. So, we are in conversation with Alex Renton about an extraordinary book and an extraordinary ex- life experience. It, the book is called Blood Legacy. The experience was going through, I mean, sort of being the man rummaging through the family um, shame, really, in boxes and finding a story that's very difficult the to stomach. stomach. Yeah, absolutely.
2: I think also, you know, I mean, as a writer as a journalist, you're sitting going, This is a, an extraordinary story, which, and I, the descendants of, slavers in Britain haven't really told their story. A lot of people in the States have actually. There's quite a, a genre of writing about dealing with the shame of that and, and the aftermath of that. I mean, I got to the point where I I actually, one of the things that also shame me is that none of my family had ever been there. The one uncle, who died? Set up the plantation and bought Africans in Tobago, um, and died after four years. But in the two hundred years since, no one had gone. So, so I had to, my my grandfather visited Jamaica just at the end of his life. So I I realised that I had to go, and I. Dragged my wife and my uh, daughter out with me. How She was fourteen at it's the time. It's a lot.
1: It's a lot for a fourteen-year-old. Yeah. I mean, how open were you with your fourteen-year-old? No, she,
2: she complains that this story has been part her life, but um, oh, right. but okay. she's eighteen now. But she uh-huh. she um, so to Tobago to go and. Go to the plantation, the Bloody Bay, the, the site of the plantation and and talk to people there and and, and, really, and fess up and say why I was well, how there. Do you, how do you
1: even start the conversation? I, I mean, I'm just trying to imagine it, you know, <laughs> please tell me you didn't wear a white suit and a, a white hat, a Del Monte man from Del Monte. I mean, how how do you go forth and say,
2: uh, introduce yourself? I felt a complete idiot and people were incredibly Kind and generous. And I was searching around trying to find traces of where my ancestor's house might have been in Bloody Bay in this sort of mountainous bit of Tobago, where, where the field, because he, he and, and the Africans cleared the jungle to make the first plantation there. And it's now kind of returned to it's, jungle. Uh, from my experience, there's all,
0: A, Tobago is full of Scottish names. There's places called Culloden, There's You know, wherever you go, Scotland mm-hmm. is, is all around you. And secondly, it's very difficult at first to square it with horrors because you go there and it's one of the most beautiful places on earth and we're all trained in, in the 20th century to think of tropical islands as, as as bliss, as heaven and yet, you know, you see these, they look like sort of ruined windmills which are the, the, the plantation, well, they are ruined windmills they're, 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 yeah, they're, they're and, uh, so on, yep. and uh, you see chimneys and none of these plantations of course exist anymore, they're all 200 years old, hmm. they're ruins. So again, not only are you brought up to think of a tropical island as as a paradise you're also brought up to think of you know crumbling ruins as rather romantic and you have to make a a massive jump to realize that these are not places that are gorgeous and and pretty they are places of horror where terrible terrible things happened but it's not like you know you you see bits of aschwitz and it looks threatening and you see those gates and you see those stoke tracks and your blood chills
1: there is nothing here that is immediately aesthetically chilling. That's interesting. That's fascinating. And
2: yeah. you kind of get—I mean, this is—they yeah. call it the white gaze—going uh, go, to the tropics. But I mean, and and how, how you know, we see a gorgeous place to many Tobagans. You see, you who aren't directly involved in the tourism, a place of enormous poverty and 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 continuing racial problems you know issues i talk to people in tobago about this around around colorism which of course you know discrimination because of the of the shade of your skin comes yes, directly yes. from from the, the discrimination that my ancestors employees used and and it beneath the skin it's really very clear uh, I, I i rang everybody called ferguson in the tobago phone book right and and got in touch with every, everyone were there large numbers of fergusons uh in, well i did it in trinidad as well uh, yeah no there were because there were there were other fergusons the the um, uh, george ferguson who became governor of, of tobago and defended it against the french but um uh, so there were a considerable amount but those that didn't put the phone down on me as a complete nutter We had the most wonderful conversations with.
1: What is the sort of the range of people that you were talking to with the surname Ferguson?
2: They they were all black Fergusons. In I mean, lots of people in Trinidad and Tobago have some Indian blood as as well. But but I think most of them would have identified mainly as African. And and we did DNA tests. I took DNA tests with me in the hope of finding some cousins. Because I just thought my uncle had been there four years. He was 27 years old. He was unmarried. And white men were licensed to use the the enslaved women. It wasn't know, There was no social as shame. As it wasn't a shame. thing. Yeah, no yeah. social I mean, shame it was at all. He was rape, but it yeah, was Of course it yeah, was rape. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah.
1: No, but, but there would have been not one wit of um, this is criminal activity. No. Yeah.
2: But when I say I had wonderful conversations there in Jamaica with the people still living on the land, I, 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 I should, what I mean is, in the sense of their generosity and interest in me and, you know, preparedness to chew it all over. And really, and I think, you know, I mean, this later when the book was published and people in, in the Caribbean and america got in touch about it, the bottom line would say was people going, why didn't you come before? And why, why right are now. people like you never, we never thought people like you were prepared to talk about in this. In every
0: aspect of this podcast, wherever we're dealing with, any of these issues, whether it's India, whether it's the Caribbean. it What's consistently fascinating is that it is only now that many of these things are being raked over and looked at and examined. I mean, what were people doing for the last... 40-50 years. Right? It's not yeah.
1: easy though, William. It's really, it's not yeah. an easy thing. We talked about it with Partition as well. You know, if you if you think that in your family there are people who might have gone into, a, you know, their neighbours' homes and, or train and, carriage and massacred people. Yeah. Oh. But,
2: but also that, that you know, that great generation of post-Imperial British writers that we grew up reading and so on, why didn't they go and look? Mm. And, and and I think, you know, because they're very busy picking over the bones and the crimes of empire. I mean, and, 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 and not in the way we do now but but and i think you have to go back to the fact that our education your and my extremely expensive education was a a, a, an exercise in delivering propaganda about that empire, which led led not only to us believing that the British were the good guys of the slave slavery story, but also believing there was no story, and there was nothing to look at.
1: Okay, so so here, here's a here's a funny thing. Uh, I have forgive me, I have sort of mentioned this on the podcast before, but whenever I mean, I, I did a book called The Patient Assassin about um, the massacre in Amritsa, the Jallianwala Bagh massacre, and the revenge that was taken for it, and for many many people, and particularly when I've done this talk in Ireland this is a lot because you know the fact that an irishman was presiding over the kind of tyranny that was going over the fact that it was a an irishman (laughs) who had gone to india and said fire it's it's really tricky and i had this weird thing happen at book signings where people would come in tears and say sorry and i actually didn't and i to this day i don't know i don't know how to deal with it and i find it odd and I, i i actually sort of say but you've got nothing to be sorry about. You didn't do this. And now, so tell me how, you know, (laughs) in that queue, where are you in this queue? And is there a difference between guilt and shame?
2: i think there's a massive difference between guilt and, and shame I, I i can't feel guilty for the actions of my ancestors i feel ashamed that I, it took me to late in my 50s that i could begin to look at them and that i'd lived you know as a sort of liberal you know metropolitan journalist type you know in a belief that cuz i wasn't racist racism wasn't a problem but but this book told me an awful lot about what's going on now and that as i should feel ashamed that that in britain we have failed to not just to apologize for slavery, which we'll continue to refuse to do, but also to acknowledge the rights and needs and, and to be in our country of of the descendants of the people whom we enslaved.
1: And there are people who are maybe listening to this who are going to hate this and who are going to say, wait a minute, what about Wilberforce? What about Wilberforce? Compare us to America. We wouldn't. We were better than that. We're the ones who ended the slave trade.
0: Respond to that. So what would you say to... So, so I, we are going to get those letters and and, and we'll see the tweets. People will be... Re- saying uh,
2: but but britain what, ended why are you, the running, slave trade. Down? Why yeah. you running why are yeah. you running britain down what's your response to those people my response is that i mean wilberforce is no saint i mean wilberforce you know, like dundas were politicians who who tried to get an amelioration i mean that's the word they used of slavery through ending the trade because they thought slaves might be treated better than if if they were being brought in from west africa and, the, and actually there'll be fewer early deaths i mean is it turned out that wasn 't even true, but the idea that Wilberforce and the politicians around him wanted to end British slavery just looks like nonsense uh, and, and is nonsense why
1: do you say, but why do you say it 's
2: nonsense? There was no intention of ending slavery in the in the West Indies. it was just ending the trading of, of slaves across Across the Atlantic I, I mean I mean it's backed by religious people who back slavery throughout actually but, but, correct because, me if I'm wrong but I've always understood that, that,
0: that from what I've read that Wilberforce was motivated not by in a sense a, a burning sense of human rights which is what, how we would kind of assume that he would be motivated but because as an evangelical Christian he wanted people to be able to make the choice of Christ themselves for free so it was driven by to many of us today would look at in a sense like religious fanaticism uh, and and wanting everybody to be to be freely able to to convert to Christianity. Well I mean but
1: what people some people at the time called religious uh, fundamentalism and I, were the, I found some very interesting things working on the new book but you know it was Wilberforce's insistence that the uh, East India Company put a Christianity clause in if they were going to get their charter back and the East India Company said no bog off, that's going to get us killed. You know, if you start meddling with those gods and he he then lobbied. He did there's what a is whole, a very modern a lobbying whole to the other. In. Uh, yeah. uh there's,
0: there's 20 years. there's a guy called I think Charles Grant, who yeah. becomes a director. And one of his big campaigns when he becomes a director is to uh, allow and encourage missionaries in. Yeah. which had been previously banned. And exactly as you say, the other guys who'd been against it were exactly right, because this is exactly what, what precipitates 1857. Problems.
1: Yeah. So, you know, there, there were people at the time. So, so you're saying... There's rose-tinted spectacles about. Very much. You mentioned the name I mean, Dundas listen, listen, as well. I, 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 we should come back to Dundas. I think it's an unfamiliar name to a lot of people. When I started
2: promoting the book last year, I did I, I, I do a quiz in in some audiences, and you'd go, "When did slave British slavery end? What percentage of GDP do you reckon it was in terms of the?" government earning from the taxes uh, uh, in 1800. Could you give us the answers quickly? So it ends in 18, 1838. That's the end of indentured slavery in the Caribbean. GDP, 10, 11%. Lots of people that look to this. So a, a major, major part of financing the wars against the French. And the British government earned more in taxes from our estates. I can see this in the records than the Ferguson's ever, ever earned. Yes. So one of the big issues in
0: contemporary Scotland is bang slap in the middle of St Andrews Square uh, in the middle of Edinburgh uh, is this statue of Dundas uh, when I was brought up we were very proud of Dundas. What does it look
1: like Willie for those who have It's an extremely
0: it tall column like Nelson's column mm-hmm. uh, and it, it dominates the whole of St Andrews Square which is where when I was growing up where we used to get the bus into Edinburgh from and I uh, uh, and, uh, used to arrive in Edinburgh at St Andrews Square, either Waverley Station or, or St Andrews Square and it was the first thing you, you saw as you come out of the bus station and this is a guy who we used to be proud of because he was a Scot that took over England, in a sense, and ran the English foreign policy. They called him but the now, King of Scotland, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, the King of Scotland. Uh, and, and, we, and we were always rather proud that this guy had gone south and showed, that, showed the English what to do. But today, of course, he's, he's now uh, regarded for very good reasons as an
2: incredibly morally dubious Figure.
1: And what what are those reasons, Alex? What what is well, what is that? it's interesting.
2: About? I mean, I mean, Willie grew up going into Edinburgh, and knowing who that statue was was of. I don't think I didn't. I don't think I don't think most Edinburghers ever. They sure do now, though, which is a good thing. So, I, I, I mean, Dundas Pitt's right hand man, fixer, um, eventually impeached actually for corruption, but uh, Minister of War, Minister of Finance, and so on through the 1790s, and and you know. As was the way one of, one of the the, the great patrons and, and and a great friend of of my ancestor as well there's fifty or sixty letters between them in, in this archive but and and Dundas in seventeen ninety two very cleverly slipped the word gradually as an amendment into the bill abolishing the slave trade that it shouldn't happen immediately, it should happen gradually what
1: was his reasoning? What was his working out
2: <laughs> um it- he, I, well, I think at the time it wouldn't have passed in the Commons, it was actually, the bill was turned down in the Lords anyway, so it needn't have happened, but it became government policy that, that there would be a gradual end to the slave trade. So to Dundas's critics, he was the one you put your finger at since for, for the shipping of 300,000 more Africans to death over the 15 years before the trade actually ended in 1807. His defenders, and there are some very vocal ones, will say it was just politics. He had to finance the British wars and ending this source of tax revenue would be disastrous. And they also point to the fact that Dundas, as a young advocate, acted in a key case where where Joseph Knight, who was an escaped uh, enslaved person in Scotland, got the right to stay in Scotland and established in in Scottish law that you could not be a slave in in Scotland, Mm. white or black. So Dundas's statue needed a rewrite and we us talk about pulling it down in 2020. But a committee sat and decided on a rewording which told much more of the story of Dundas, who also is the man who's, who sent 6,000 British troops to try and capture Haiti or Saint-Domingue um, and take it, it as a sugar colony um, for the British when, when the revolution happened there. And this is now a big debate in Scotland because there are some people that say rather than just a plaque, the statue should come down. Very few. I mean, I, I think Scotland settled quite happily around, around a, a re of it, most of Scotland. Mm. But there is a, a powerful brigade with some Scottish academics in it, some descendants of Dundas himself, uh, Lord Melville as he became, and some red-trousered, new-tan white men who like writing angry letters to the Times and Spectator, who will not let this one rest. For me, I mean... They I want know, the plaque removed, do they? They or? want the plaque removed and Dundas restored as one of the great one men of great in Scotland. One the yeah. and, and the, the fight, yeah. like every culture war fight, has become ridiculously personal and vicious. Is a attack on the great man, a great man in my view, Sir Jeff Palmer, who's who's a, who's a Scottish academic and a descendant of slaves who himself. Is it, who is
1: a black Scottish uh, academic, we
2: should say. Uh-huh. Edinburgh is a small town and Scotland is a small country. When
0: you go around Scotland, do you find people regarding you as, as a sort of traitor for exposing the stuff and uh, and washing dirty linen in public
2: you know i i i, I get so, I mean, I, you know, I get some invective and I get, get a lot of nasty emails. But I mean, when I compare it with the sort of things that happened to Satnam Sanghera questioning Emperor you know, people don't, uh-huh. and David Olisoga who who has had to take guards to book festivals with him, you know, it, it's nothing. I mean, I, I think that the learning process for me at book festivals and, and in comments columns in the Times and Sunday Times is I had no idea I was really innocent about just how angry people like me, middle-aged white men, get over and women to get over this and and just how poorly educated we had okay. been.
1: So, so I, I mean, again, I just would point out it's not just sort of the red-trousered, um, you know, sort of white middle-aged man. We've had Suella Braverman say very recently. We've had Rishi Sunak say very recently. We have others who say very recently. You know what? Either let it go or be proud of the great history of, of empire. Uh, and So, when you hear that, what goes through I your mean, mind? You,
2: I, I mean, so the standard, as anyone who writes on, on this issue would tell, will tell you, the standard book festival polite complaint is slavery has already been always been part of human hu- human yeah. life. You know, would you have us sue the Romans for for raping people across on Roman Britain? They will, yeah, yeah. I mean, so the what about us? But and the answer to that is, you know, is clearly. Atlantic slavery, as, as practiced by the British, is sui generis because it was legal, encouraged by the government, and an enormous earner for the exchequer. And it's also more important than slavery in other times, in other places, because it still directly affects this country today, because racism today in Britain is rooted, rooted in the divisions that started with slavery and, and, the, and the othering of black people. So uh, it's, you know, that's the answer. It, you can't get it through, though, I have to
0: say. <laughs> Alex, just, but just to take it back in, into your family again, and this is something which I'm very intrigued by. You have written about Sir Adam Ferguson with his amazing intellectual interest, this major figure of the, of the Scottish Enlightenment, and he's attending progressive be- debates and, uh, and his friends of people like Adam Smith who hate the East India Company. And in all those ways, as somebody that we might be able to, to get on with, we might imagine. But then you come across him methodically approving of collars, handcuffs, chains and brands.
2: How do you explain that? And what do you think that shows?
1: What was he thinking?
2: Lots of, his, I'm no historian, lots of historians say that the, the empire was basically a, a, a story of violence and hypocrisy and racism. And And I cannot see these men likeable and modern in many ways as anything but entirely racist. And, and they're, decision was that they were they were able to treat the Africans in this way with collars and chains and whips and stealing their babies from them and selling them to whoever they felt like because they saw them like the mules and donkeys on the plantation. And, and it, it, this isn't something that was different then. Sir Adam's best friend and neighbour at the Kennedy of Dalwarren, another member of Parliament, was a prominent abolitionist. The clerics that he had to dinner around his table were abolitionists by the 1790s. He knew there was another way to go. It wasn't even that key to the Ferguson finances. He could have decided to do the other thing. With 200,000 mainly women campaigning and petitioning Parliament by the 1790s to stop slavery, he knew perfectly well the arguments against it as a Christian as well.
0: One one final final question: What to do about it today? You're not guilty for the fact that your ancestors bought brands and branded people and, and kidnapped people and, and, and took them to Tobago, but what can people do today to make up for this? Do you, what's the what's our what should ordinary people sitting listening to this podcast, taking their dogs for a walk, doing the washing up, driving their car to work? What 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 can they do? To, to uh, respond to the fact that this is a uh, was a huge earner for our country, and hundreds of thousands of people not just from the upper classes like your family
2: but from all all walks of life uh, like Robbie Burns were involved in it i I think the the first thing I'd suggest is do an audit of your own history. Go onto the University College of London Legacies of British Slavery database and put your surname in. And if your surname's at all unusual, you may find some very interesting things. And and at, from that point, and a lot of people do write to me, having found out those disturbing and interesting things, start to think about the way you lead your life today. The fact that our former colonies where we enslaved people and you know my my ancestors bought railway shares to make themselves richer with the compensation money they got Uh, our former colonies are still much poorer than I are Guyana is one of the poor full of Scots DNA uh, one of the poorest countries in the world and and whether you know it is right that this imbalance persists so we do need to talk about reparations, reparative justice. It's not just about money; it's about better relationships, education, about technology transfer, debt forgiveness, and those are really potent things. At the moment, unlike some other European countries, the British government is saying we won't even talk about it.
1: I know you said final, final, final question. This is the final, final, fi- final, final question because I'm just okay. Uh, I'll do hundreds I, more questions. I think then. this is um, I, I sort of like it's just such a prism to look at our own day and age. Have you taken the family portraits down? would it be better to take them down or better to put an explanation of who they really were?
0: It's a... Zuby, uh, 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 you don't have the yeah, family portraits yourself. I don't, yeah, I, I, right? I don't right. live well, in well, that. Okay, home. that's yeah. that's easy yeah. then. That's the
1: easy answer. You know why I'm asking. This is roads must fall. This is statues that don't exist. Do you take them down or would, if you if it was in your house, it, do you take down your ancestors or do you... Tell everybody who comes,
2: this is who they were. Y- you explain properly. I mean, it's a good you topic. Write, it's a f- fascinating topic done. of conversation. I mean, why, why not be open and, and talk about it? I mean, other nations that have been through appalling periods and done appalling things, You know, a lot of people in the Caribbean go, why can't you behave like the Germans did after the Second World War on this? And, and you go, yeah, why can't we, actually?
1: It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thank you very much. The book is called Blood Legacy. Um, we've been speaking to Alex Renton. And, um, you know, it's really well worth a read. That's kind of all we've got time for this week. Thank
0: you, Alex. That was incredible. Yeah, really? uh, It's a wonderful book. I yeah. highly recommend it. I, I read it in one sitting. It's yeah. an extraordinary book.
1: Well, um, it, it, until we come back next week, it's goodbye from me.
2: And goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Thank you.